airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh oh. Uh oh. Good afternoon. This is Erin the Addisons here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison. Once again, holding it down for the family. Send you greetings from the Addison tribe. Glad to be with you on today. Uh, today we have a, a, a good show planned. We have Dr. Jim Dennison, uh, who's supposed to be on with me in a second a segment uh, to talk about his new book, uh, Respectfully, I Disagree. Uh, and it's all about having civility uh, in our discussions and in our debates, you know, as Christians, you know, especially at this time, things could get really heated. Even amongst Christians, there's so many uh, topics and issues that would uh, try, seek to divide us. But how do we have civility uh, in these times? A couple housekeeping things. Uh, make sure you download our podcast at AFR.net. Uh, that's AFR.net slash podcast. Go to that homepage, uh, AFR.net, and just click the podcast uh, tab, and you can find our show there or any other show that you would like to download. Also, you can email us at Addison's, A-D-D-I-S-O-N-S, at AFR.net. That's Addison's at AFR.net, A-D-D-I-S-O-N-S, at AFR.net. Also, the Living the Gospel During Difficult Times, make sure you go to AFA.net slash events to check out when those uh, town halls will be. Uh, just a, a very good time of equipping. I know my brother Abraham Hamilton III, He's a part, a major part of those um, town halls, and uh, he's just giving me some great reports about what's been happening there. Also, the In His Image documentary, we've been talking about this a lot because we believe that is a, a great resource for your church, for yourself, for your home, your family. You know, um, man, I, we need uh, uh, tools to be able to help us to navigate some of these questions that we have going on, even within the church. And this is a great tool, a great instrument that you can use uh, to educate yourself on what's going on, but also to use to to be to witness to other people, to, you know, show friends who may have questions about this, you know, uh, because there are a lot of questions concerning sexuality, how the church should be dealing with homosexuality and, you know, uh, can I be gay and a Christian, all those questions. And we have powerful testimonies within this documentary of people who were in that lifestyle, but God delivered. And so in his image dot movie is where you would go uh, to check out the in his image documentary. You can also purchase it. And there's also a second DVD with even more resources on it that you would get once you purchase uh, the, the DVD. And so it's, it's well worth uh, getting in his image dot movie. Also operation Christmas child uh, the National Collection Week is uh, started already. It ends 11-23, uh, November 23rd. Uh, moving the gospel forward, this is so easy to do. When you pack an Operation Christmas Child school uh, shoebox, 
gift for a child who is going to, to hear about the love of Jesus. Uh, we can do this together. Just visit SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. Uh, great thing to do. Great thing to, to uh, have your family do um, just as a, a way of giving uh, to others. You know, we, grow, we are in a society and our children are growing up in a place where there's a lot of comforts. There, there are a lot of um, things that we have that other people don't have. And, man, we should uh, be able to train our children in a way of, of giving and being thankful for what they do have but being able to give as well and not always looking to receive, you know, so that's very, very important. This is a great way, a great tangible way uh, to be a part of doing that. I just want to share um, something that I felt like the Lord pressed upon my heart a few months back. And I share this with my uh, local fellowship um, that the Lord was calling uh, for us, for us as believers to have no vacant prayer closets. No vacant prayer closets. And the scripture uh, that uh, came to my heart as I uh, uh, just was, was meditating about this was in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 5 through 8. And it says, when you pray, uh, you are not like the hypocrites, for they do, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. And truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's Matthew chapter six, verse five through eight. And I'm reminded um, of a time uh, when I was serving as a campus missionary. Uh, I was a part of a, a campus ministry called Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship, and we were on secular universities. It was it was the outreach arm of the Assemblies of God. And as training as a missionary, we had to raise our own support. Uh, so whatever we had come in for that month, that's what we lived on. And so it was really, you know, hard at times, you know, um, but the Lord always provided. And there was this one time and I recently told this story to I think the, the young people at our church that I had uh, I, I was in need of some new tennis shoes. And this might seem small, it might seem uh, insignificant, but I was in need of some uh, new tennis shoes. Uh, the ones I had, they literally had holes in them. And, and I was like, man. So I just said, Lord, Lord, I need some new shoes. Now, I didn't consider it at that time as a as a prayer. You know, uh, usually in my mind, what I thought of as prayer was this formal, you know, request. Oh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, you know, you are holy. You know, just, you know, and those things are not wrong because there's a time uh, for that. But there's a time also, and my pastor back home, he will always say, he said some of the, the, the prayers, the most powerful prayers that we could pray is, Lord, help. <laughs> Lord, help. And God hears that. But I, I said, Lord, I need some new shoes. And I tell you, within that same day, I don't remember, it was just a few hours later, there was a student that came to me. Now, I was by myself when I, when I said, Lord, I need some new shoes. But the student came to me, said, man, he said, well, I have these I have these new, I have these shoes, but they're too big for me. 
um, what size do you wear? I, you know, I just thought about you, man. I wanted to give you these shoes. And they were my exact size. And the Lord was just showing me that prayer is not going to always look like you think it should look. You know, it's not going to always sound and, and be like you think it should be. You know, that was a, a heartfelt request. You know, I was serious when I said, Lord, I need new shoes. But I didn't consider myself actually praying. I, I, I considered myself what it, it was prayer because I was talking to God. <laughs> you know, but sometimes we, we can make it out into our minds to be this, uh, this, this huge exercise to where if we don't have the correct words, we don't have the right uh, uh, tone, you know, on our, on our words that is not truly praying, that we, we're not getting through. And the Lord showed me that day that he hears us and that he knows what we need even before we ask. And that's what it, it says in, in, at the end of this scripture. It says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. Then it says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And a powerful piece about that, he knows what I need, need before I ask him. So the question would be, well, why do I need to ask him if he already knows? Well, he loves his children. We have relationship with him. He, he desires that we would ask him for the things that we need and even the things that we want. And that God is pleased, you know, to provide for his children. He wants us to come to him as that child, to be able to ask him for those things that, that we have need of. He loves that. And he knows before we even uh, ask him, but he's still ready and poised to hear us and to answer these prayers. Also within this scripture, it says when you pray. So this tells me that that is not an option, but it's a command. It's something that we should always be about doing, that when we pray, he said, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be the ones that will stand out, you know, in public and try to be uh, heard and seen by man so that we can get applause of men. And he says, if we if we have that heart, we have our reward in full and our reward is the praise of men. That's not what I desire. He said, but when you pray, go into your inner room. And the Lord really struck this upon my heart because I, he was just showing me that the prayers that we pray in our closet, in our spot of prayer, wherever that may be, those are very, very important prayers. Those are the prayers when no one is around, no one is there to say amen. But, man, you, you are being transparent and, and pouring out your heart to God. Those prayers are valuable. It's great to have the, uh, the corporate prayer meeting, you know, with other believers. Very, very important. But it's very, very important as well to have individual devotion and prayer time uh, with God. Because what happens a lot of time, too, is your devotion time in, uh, in secret, the outflow of that is what, what happens in a corporate prayer meeting. If you're not praying when you're home or when you're by yourself, if there's no uh, connection there, it's going to be harder for you to pray, you know, when you're with the brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to encourage your heart. That man, this this whole thing of prayer, the Lord has um, really been stirring me up about it, and and personally for me, that I would be effective uh, at praying, and that I would be able to encourage the body of Christ to do to do the same, and that I understand that man, there's so much more prayer that that needs to take place, and we think about our nation. My brother Abraham Hamilton III on his show, I was listening uh, yesterday, and uh, he challenged and and uh, invited. 
his listeners to pray uh, concerning, you know, the election and different things going on, even beyond the election for the body of Christ. And he also challenged us uh, in our local fellowship. Uh, we served together at a local fe uh, fellowship, you know, to pray, uh, you know, uh, and fast and pray, you know, up until November 3rd, uh, you know, just about what's going on and, and, and really bring it before God. And, and look, this shouldn't be just for elections or anything like that. And that's not what he was saying. But this is a lifestyle that we are called to live as the body of Christ. And I was telling to uh, telling a brother this morning that, you know, if there could be regrets in heaven, which I don't believe there will be. One big regret would be that we didn't pray as often as we should, that we would see how effective our prayers were and that we would say, man, I should have prayed more. I should have prayed more, you know. And so I just want to encourage us um, that when we pray, and it also goes even beyond that in the next verses, it talks about when you fast. You know, these things are, are linked together. And in our culture, fasting and prayer, man, that, that, that cuts against, you know, what we desire to do in our flesh. Man, no, I want to eat. No, you know, I don't have time to pray. You know, I'm too busy. And, you know, that it's, it's so, so important for us to understand that we cannot be too busy that we don't take time out and seek the Lord in prayer. And so I just want to encourage your hearts with that. When you pray, you're not like to, to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. And truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your inner, inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Go to your father in secret and you will see those prayers, those answers to those prayers in the open, in public. Things that you're praying about in that closet, in that room right next to your bed on your knees, you will see manifested, you know, in public. God will show you that he's answering prayers. That's that's one of the, the, the cool parts about, you know, when we get together at our local uh, assembly for prayer, we have praise reports and God is doing things. He's answering prayers continuously and it encourages our hearts to pray even more. This has been Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. We'll be back right after this. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison, once again, holding it down for the family. And uh, just glad to be with you today. Uh, yesterday, we had a chance to talk uh, extensively about prayer 
And I uh, just wanted to uh, even share in this first segment uh, that we just came out of, you know, some things that have been on my heart. No vacant, uh, no vacant closets. God is call, calling for no vacant closets. Uh, while we're waiting to potentially get our guest on, I want to uh, talk about a few things that I have been kind of holding on to uh, for a while. Uh, you know, within elections, you know, we're in election season. We know that uh, we have a, that presidential election and a bunch of other elections uh, taking place on uh, Tuesday. But man, the thing about the, the election season, it's going to be very tense, even for Christians. Um, this can be a time where, man, you begin to lose um, friendships. <laughs> you know, family may kind of split if you don't handle these situations well. But one thing that, that really bothers me about this time is the categories that everyone is is put into. Have you noticed that you have the, the young black male or you have the evangelicals or the conservative Christians or the liberals. It, there's all these different uh, categories, you know, that we have in these elections. And, and the thing, the thing about it is we got to be careful, you know, what label we allow ourselves to be under, you know, we have to be careful about that. And I saw a few headlines because, because I'm, of course, I'm a black man, you know, and, uh, and I saw some headlines to where it was talking about how uh, Biden, Vice President Biden, uh, needs black men and the efforts that's been going forward to to get black men to be um, to to vote for him. And also, I've seen you know different polls talking about young black men, you know, uh, moving more towards President Trump. You know, all these categories. I wanna I wanna um, make sure that you are encouraged that you. Watch the labels that are, are put on you because these labels are, are, are cause for division. You know, now I know at, at certain points, you know, we have to look at politics. We have to look at what's going on and we need to vote uh, biblically when we when we look at these elections. And I hope we're doing so not based upon a party, not based upon an affiliation. But let's take the word of God and say, what do these candidates stand for? And whether you're a black male, whether you're, you know, a Christian conservative or evangelical, if you're a Christian, our standard is the word of God. And that's what we go by. That's our number one standard. And that's what we're looking for uh, as we go into that boot. I just want to encourage you. You know, we don't get very political on this particular show. But, man, if, if there's one thing I can say is that we would truly uh, evaluate candidates Look at what they stand for, their policies, even if you feel like I don't like their attitude or even if you feel like I don't know if they're all there or whatever. But let's look at policies. Let's look at what's been implemented and take that with us, you know, and with our Bibles and say, hey, which which candidate uh, should I be voting for? So right now I want to go to our guest. I'm thankful for this guest. I think we're going to have a, a great uh, conversation because it kind of. I have some questions dealing with, you know, civility and even this election, this um, political season, how we should engage one another as Christians. And uh, uh, Dr. Jim Dennison is a co-founder and the CVO of Dennison Forum. Uh, prior to launching Dennison Forum in uh, 2009, he passed the churches in Texas and Georgia. 
Uh, he's the author of multiple books, uh, and he serves as a, a resident scholar for ethics at, at with with Baylor Scott and White Health, where he addresses issues such as uh, genetic medicine and reproductive science. He has written pos- position papers on subjects including uh, genom- genomics and gene editing, abortion, uh, physician-assisted debt, sex assign- reassignment surgery, cyborg medicine, uh, uterine transplant surgery, reproductive science, uh, sexual ethics. And he's one of my wife's, man, uh, like she loves reading his, his articles. Like she, <laughs> she's always telling me, about uh, Dr. Dennison and something that, that he's um, written. And, and even as we approach our show, there are times where we, we will look at some of the things that he's written and have some ideas of what to talk about, you know, uh, during the show. So I just want to uh, welcome our guest. Hi, Dr. Dennison. Hey, I am so glad to be on today. Thank you very much. And thank you for marrying such a discerning wife. <laughs> yes, yes. She's <laughs> she's very discerning, very discerning. She loves your work. I married over my head as well. Uh, how that works. <laughs> Amen. So your book, uh, Respectfully, I Disagree. Now, I was looking at that and I was like, man, this is perfect for, for this time because I find mm-hmm. myself being engaged with conversations, you know, social media and things like that. But what was it that you're seeing in culture that sparked you to write this book? Yeah, it's a great question. I uh, looked around at some surveys early on that found that only 7% of Americans said we don't have a problem with stability in America. And I'm not quite sure where they're living, <laughs> because the rest <laughs> of us, <laughs> the average American says they have 10.2 examples or experiences with incivility on a given week. And mm. for a lot, it's a lot more than that. Mm. But really, the larger missional purpose of this was I became concerned about the degree to which Christians might be hindering our witness during the election. Mm. When we're the election so severely, so uh, so passionately, and so I wanted to make sure, as best I can, that we're acting with civility now for mm-hmm. the sake of our witness on the other side of the election. Well, yeah, and that's that's very important, you know. And, and just to that point, concerning Christians engaging in debates about politics, maybe on like on social media, uh, what what uh, is the importance of civility? Uh, in these debates concerning our witness, like what can happen if we don't operate in civility to our witness as Christians? Yeah, that's a foundational question, and it absolutely is, and it's such a challenge, because on social media today, you can say things about people you'd never say to them, yes. you know? Uh, Matthew eighteen fifteen says, if my brother sins against me, I'm supposed to go to him, I'm not allowed to talk about him, but only to him. Think how different the world would be. If everybody followed that principle, whether it's a president or a congressman or a governor, your next-door neighbor, mm. if we won't say about them, you know, we wouldn't say to them. And so if Christians don't act in that world, then we're no different than anybody else. Yeah. They go to church on Sunday, but the world doesn't see any difference in us on Monday if we're just as uncivil as everybody else is. If we won't turn the other cheek, if we won't respond to Christ, then why would they follow Christ? So with these issues, you know, especially as it concerns politics and even things beyond that, you know, as a Christian, you, you feel a sense of standing up for the truth, you know, and that you have to engage, you know, in, in some of these issues. Would you have a set of uh, guidelines that you think should be uh, abided by if you're going to get into these, these discussions, you know, on social media, things like that? Absolutely. Great question. And you're exactly right. First Peter 3 tells us to be ready, always make a defense of the reason that we have. But it mm-hmm. says do some respect. 
Mm-hmm. And so really the first guideline for me, and I'm only speaking for myself here yeah. because I'm just as fallen as everybody else is, I have to be filled with the Spirit every day. Amen. Ephesians 5.18 commands us to be filled, means to be controlled by, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, I'm just as likely to be uncivil as anybody else That's is. Good. So I'm first of all going to every day start the day. You know, Mark one thirty five. Jesus got alone with the Father a great while before day, went to a solitary place and prayed. You fill up the car before you drive it. And so you start the day by asking the Holy Spirit to take control of your thoughts, your words, your attitude, your actions, and your asking is the best definition of civility I know. Then the second thing I'm going to do in a conversation is ask the Holy Spirit to give me discernment mm-hmm. as to what I really need to be saying and where I need to be listening in this conversation. The Spirit knows this person's mind better than I do. He knows what he's doing in their lives in a way I don't. I'm just called to the witness stand, and I'm supposed to follow the lead of the defense attorney here. And so I'll ask him to lead me, give me wisdom, give me direction, give me things to say mm-hmm. I didn't plan to say. Give me the ability not to speak when I shouldn't speak, and just ask him to help me do that. Those are foundational principles. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and some of the discussions that I've, I've found myself in, especially as it pertained to the last four years, you know, and even uh, President Trump being in office with other Christians was, you know, they'll have a mindset that, oh, as Christians, we we can't, we shouldn't even be involved in politics or how could you vote for for this person? You know, and it seems like that that has brought about a great divide uh, within within the body. How do you even begin to approach Topics like that, like we shouldn't even vote, uh, not vote, but be involved politically as Christians. Well, it's a huge question. I wrote, a, in fact, I wrote a white paper recently. What does the Bible say about politics? It's on our website at denisonforum.org, specifically mm-hmm. to address that. And we really look at it in three categories. On one category, yeah, and you know this, of course, all through Scripture, there are political leaders used by God who want to be used. Mm-hmm. You're thinking of Joseph, who became prime minister to Egypt. You're yeah. thinking about the way that God elevated Mordecai in the book of Esther. You're thinking of of leaders used by God in that way. On a second category, you've got people that were used by God in spite of themselves. Mm. You're thinking of the way that the persecution brought about by the Romans actually spread the gospel. You're thinking of John, exiled on Patmos and given the revelation. Then a third category is people that are being used but don't know it. They're not opposed to the Lord so much as they don't know they're being used by God. And you think in the book of Acts about the Romans that helped Paul get to Rome. They didn't know what they were doing, but they were being used by God. So the first point to make is that God uses people in political influence and always has. The second point is to say that if we're not willing to participate, we're keeping the salt in the salt shaker. We're keeping light under the basket. We're called to go to the culture. We're called to take the gospel to the culture. And political influence is a critical way to do that. So bottom line for me, I think every Christian should be praying about the degree to which they should be involved in public service. And certainly, according to First Timothy 2, they're to be praying for their political leaders, and they're to be looking for ways that they can glorify God through the political process. Yeah, and, and it, man, that's, that's so good, because I, I, like you said, it's clear through the Scripture that, uh, that politics matter, you know, that God used different political figures out through the Bible. You know, and there's, there's so many topics that can be seen as uh, divisive. You know, I'm thinking about tearing down of monuments and white supremacy and, and, you know, abortion or whatever. Are there any topics in your mind that you think should not even be broached by Christians, or is everything fair game? Oh, that's a great question. No one's asked me that question. <laughs> that's really terrific. And all the conversations we've had around the book and around the topic and such, my first thought would be no. 
Mm-hmm. My first thought would be to say that God's Word speaks to every issue, to every subject. It does speak to how we go about these conversations. Mm-hmm. And one thing I would hasten to say is there certainly are topics about which I do not have and cannot claim any kind of particular personal relevance or particular um, experience or expertise. I can speak to what Scripture says, but I can't speak from a personal perspective. An example that comes to mind immediately is racial injustice. Mm-hmm. I've got a very dear friend, African-American friend, who lives in North Dallas, a couple of blocks away from me. He has conversations all the time about what it is to be a black man living in North Dallas today. Mm-hmm. He walks into our local pharmacy, and he's wearing a hood. He's going to get followed. Mm. If his kids are on their way home from school, they have to walk in the street because if they walk on the sidewalk, someone might call the police. And that's in my neighborhood in North Dallas today. I cannot begin to pretend to know what it's like to live as a racial minority. And so I can't speak to that from that perspective, of course. But of course I can speak to it from a biblical perspective and talk about the fact that there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, while Abraham's seed, and God Mm. hates racism, all of that. So anyway, I can speak biblically to subjects, even if I can't speak to them personally. All right. So no topics are off uh, off the cuffs. Like you, we can go into to anything if we go in biblically, right? That's right. As opposed to from my own personal experience or my own personal opinion or, or biases. Things yeah. Like that. You want to be really careful there. And that's what happens a lot of times. These these uh, discussions get very emotional, you know, and and so your your friend, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, that he would be emotional, but that someone like me, I may not have, I may, might may not have the same experience, even being a, a black man, you know, and I'll mm-hmm. say, well, no, that, that's not how, how it is. And, and it seems like those kind of conversations begin to be emotional and, you know, it's like, we're not really understanding each other. We, and it just seems like it's hard to, to navigate, especially during social media where you can't really uh, uh, see a person's face. You can't really, you know, gauge how they're really thinking, you know. And so I just wonder, is that a good way to even broach these topics during social media? Or should it be something where we try to gain access to a phone call, things like that? That's part of the challenge, isn't it? And that's one of the real challenges of social media is I can be someone there that I'm not in real life. Yeah, I can hide behind anonymity. I can create a false person and pretend to be that. And that's why social media, cancel culture, all of that has really exacerbated the tensions and wow. the divisions of the day and all of that. But back to your earlier point, as long as we're exchanging opinions, it's easy for me to say, well, you're wrong and I'm right, or this is my experience, or this is yours. If mm-hmm. we're talking about biblical truth, yeah. if we're back yeah. to what Scripture says, now we've got a north on the compass, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that gives us the ability to navigate tough issues without getting into personal win-loss kind of bitterness and uh, antagonism and yeah. all the stuff that happens if it's just on a personal opinion vote. Yeah, and, and you mentioned cancel culture. I would just like your opinion on that. I feel like it's very destructive to have something uh, that like that where you can't even say something that would be negative towards something, you know, that is believed by the masses or you, you're out. What, what's your opinion on cancel culture? Couldn't be more destructive to a democracy. Absolutely right. We're supposed to be living in a participatory democracy that's built on the creed that all men are created equal. Amen. That's really the founding statement that really made America possible, you know? Amen. I've traveled a lot around the world, and I could point you to lots of cultures where cancel culture, so to speak, is a way of life, because I'm, I'm not living in your caste from a financial perspective, or I'm right. not part of this particular hierarchy or whatnot. America's not supposed to be that way. Yeah. So when I come along and boycott your company because I disagree with something you say, or I try to get you fired... Based on an argument on, on a, an article you wrote thirty years ago, right? 
and such. We're really working against the very foundation of the, of the democratic experiment that is America. Thank you so much, Dr. Dennison. I appreciate you. Uh, go and find his book, Respectfully, I Disagree. Great read. I'll be back right, right back. Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison. Uh, 888-589-8840 is the number to call if you want to call in and ask a question. 888-589-8840. And I was mentioning before, uh, I was talking to Dr. Dennison, um, the whole label thing and how they're saying it's important to have evangelicals or it's important to have Hispanic vote or it's important to have white suburban female vote and they put us into these categories where they're saying that uh i read a story it said why biden needs black men and and it's it's funny because you don't hear about any of this stuff until the political season and to me i feel like that's an insult it's like there's no care that's taken until you know votes are on the line um and i just don't like that personally But this story says, uh, although black women have often been called the backbone of the Democratic Party, black men have not been reliably Democratic in in such large numbers. Uh, During the 2016 elections, uh, 98 percent of black women who voted cast their ballots for Hillary Clinton, whereas uh, 81 percent of black men did. When I pause there, I think I, I wonder why. Why is that? And somebody may want to answer that question. Uh, why is it that black women vote so high, you know, uh, as far as uh, being Democrat and black men, you know, uh, is, is lesser? I just wonder about that. But the Biden campaign knew going into the race that it would need to maintain that support uh, Clinton received. But merely matching Clinton's numbers uh, would not be enough. It needed to build upon them. The campaign recognized that its success or failure is uh, energizing uh, black men uh, could dictate whether America had four more years of the Trump administration. And so they're saying that, man, it's not looking good because there's a lot of black, young black men who are not uh, positioning themselves to vote for Joe Biden. And historically, the black community has voted, you know, upwards of 90 percent, you know, for uh, the Democrat Party. I think there's going to be a difference this this time around. I just have a feeling about that. Just seeing what I, I, I seen, you know, reading some of the things that I've read. But it's amazing just to kind of check out how these categories all of a sudden they matter, you know, when votes are on the line, when people have certain interests. Uh there's a Rasmussen poll that said blacks give uh Trump forty six percent approval rating. That's amazing. That now this is not saying that forty six percent of black Americans are gonna vote uh, for President Trump, but the approval rating, 46%. I've personally never seen anything like that. You know, uh, I know personally, like with with family, most of my family don't feel that way. 
But, you know, it's amazing to see what's going on. I think a lot of people are getting kind of tired of uh, what's been uh, presented to them in the past. You know, there's a, a HIT strategies uh, survey and says our research has found that in just September, as much as 18 percent of black men under 50 under 50 support Trump. Four points more than Trump's total black men support in 2016 uh, with 62 uh, percent support from black men under 50, Biden Biden is 19 points behind Clinton's 2016 performance with black men overall. Interesting. I just I think all this stuff is in, is interesting. Uh 888-589-8840 if you want to give me a call, 888-589-8840. Then as this uh piece of uh audio I wanted to play from this radio host uh, goes by Charlemagne. I'm not going to say I don't say his whole name that he goes by because I just don't don't like to say that. But he was speaking to Don Lemon and they were talking about uh, young black men and why they may be voting the way that they are. I think, you know, to, 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 to even answer your question more deeply, I think, you know, when it comes to those black people, you say you see who may be, you know, showing support for Trump. I just think, you know, it's because Trump is actually talking to young black male voters. He's directing ads towards them. They are a group that, you know, never get courted. I mean, black people don't get courted either as a whole, but that old democratic regime speaks to old black men and they think everyone else in the black community, the black family is just supposed to fall in line. They know black women are, are going to show up regardless. And, you know, they, like I said, they speak to older black men and they think the rest of us all speak the same language. So Trump is targeting young black males and promo and marketing. It works. Hmm. Very interesting. He's saying that, that, you know, President Trump is actually speaking to young black men. And so it's working that marketing or whatever you want to call it is working. Then there was the, the story. And this is an old story now of a uh, rapper Ice Cube. He had developed uh, his plan for, for black America uh, and he wanted to, to present it to the Republicans and to the Democrats, to the, the Biden administration and to the Trump administration. The Biden administration said, Hey, this looks good, but we'll talk to you after after the election. Whereas the Trump administration said, hey, this sounds good. We want to implement some of this. Can we talk with you? Can we? And so he did. But he he was threatened to be canceled. And we just talked about cancel culture with Dr. Dennison. He was he was threatened to be canceled because he even met with the Trump administration about this plan. That's foolishness, y'all, that you can't even talk about something because you hate that person so much, don't even talk to them. Well, it goes back to what Charlemagne was saying. He's, you know, they're listening and they're, and they're being targeted. They're saying, hey, come on. We want to sit down at the table and see what you have to say. And so Ice Cube did that and they put it out there that he helped with the platinum plan that President uh, Trump, uh, you know, talked about in, in his speech in at Atlanta. And Ice Cube got a lot of flack for that, you know, and I'm not endorsing Ice Cube or anything with him, his music or any of that stuff. But what I'm saying is when you have somebody who is in a position to do some things, why not talk to them? That's a foolish position to have that I'm not going to talk to them based upon, you know, I just don't like their, their attitude or, you know, whatever. When you can really get some things done that you desire to get done. This last uh, clip I wanted to play, it was uh, as a pastor in one of uh, President Trump's uh, uh, meetings in Atlanta. And he was he was 
talking about why he has given his support to President Trump, and I thought it was uh, pretty interesting. So I got several reasons why I'm going to support him. And I'm ready to take whatever heat because it can't be hot enough because the furnace is in my favor. I believe in righteousness and justice. I don't believe for fighting for justice alone, there must be righteousness. And I don't believe in fighting for righteousness alone, there must be justice. I believe in the economic ability of this man to accomplish economics for all people, but black people as well. He's proven it. I believe that his record is proven. And if we compare it to 47 years of nothingness, I shouldn't say nothingness. I should say destruction. And if I have to prove a history, I have three years of a history that says you got opportunity zones, you have uh, uh, education opportunities, you have prison reform. Uh, I believe in police being uh, reformed and not eliminated. I am somebody who believes this is our time and we must take advantage of this moment. So why am I voting for him? Why am I endorsing him? Because I believe that he is going to keep his word. God bless you. Well, there you go. There's a belief that the things that he talked about doing, that he has done, you can see it. There's tangible evidence that he has done those things that he uh, has said he was going to do. And so I think all of that, you know, serves as, you know, great, uh, uh, a great thing to, to show why people, why young black men are going to vote for President Trump. You know, I think it's it's been proven uh, that he is about what he what he says he's about. And so black men are looking at that and it's like, hey, man, he's doing things. And uh, to me, that's a positive thing. Let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Louise in Virginia. Hi, Louise. Hi. First time on. Um, I wanted to say the reason why I think they are voting more is because I think the Democratic Party is speaking to a past generation, mm-hmm. whereas the generation now, they've never been enslaved. They never, they don't, many of them don't really know poverty. They, many of them are business owners. They are um, entrepreneurs. They don't even look to go to work for somebody else. Mm-hmm. I have a son who, you know, he typically, you know, he always says, this is my temporary job, mm-hmm. but he's pursuing entrepreneurship. Yeah. So I think the language that Trump speaks is business. Mm-hmm. They understand that. They understand that um, he's speaking something that nobody else is speaking to them. Yeah. Whereas the Democratic Party is still speaking, you know, old stuff. Yeah. Because the younger men are saying, I can take care of my own family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can point. do these things myself. I don't really need you. I just need the opportunity in my in the area of entrepreneurship. Yeah. To be able to get the grant and the loans or whatever it is that I need to do better for my family. Yeah, that's a great point, Louise. I mean, you know, I, I agree with you that he does speak that language of uh, owning a business and, you know, and doing for yourself and that this is a land of opportunity, you know, and he's tried to make even opportunities available through the opportunity zones and things like that. So I think I agree with you on that. And I think you're right. All right, let's go to Jerry in Memphis. Hi, Jerry. 
Hey, Will, how are you doing, man? I'm good. How about you, man? Man, I'm good, man. You have been doing a great job filling in for you and Miki. Thank you. Thank you. I have so enjoyed, man. I love what you said about prayer. And, you know, one question that came to mind, what if we got as excited about praying as we do about elections? Yeah. And we'd be praying like crazy, wouldn't we? Amen. We should be praying. Well, I'm just kidding. Well, yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm, uh, you're not going to believe this. This is going to be real quick. How do you deal with it when you see things said, like on Facebook, like you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. um, and you see brothers and sisters in Christ saying things that you know don't represent God and His Word fully? I'll be honest, I have a hard time being quiet at those times. I, I wish <laughs> I could just shut up and move on, but sometimes I'm like, man, i got to say something to this. Any? Do you have any wisdom for me there? Well, you know, Jerry, that's that's a great question. And I would say, you know, when you feel led from God to address that with that individual, you might want to even inbox them, you know, with a message and say, hey, you know, but if you feel you need to do it publicly, you know, because it's something that was done publicly. I think if if the conviction is on you to do that, you you do it, but you do it in a spirit of gentleness and meekness at the same time. You know, so I, I think those type of discussions should be had you know, even in the open forum when people are posting things and we can see that other people are watching it and you want to bring some clarity or some correction there. I think that's that's a great thing. But I think it always has to be done, you know, out of uh, love and out of compassion. I know you, Jerry, and I think that you would do so. So that, that would be my uh, advice. All right. Let's go to Roy in North Carolina. Hi. Hi, Roy. Hey, how you doing there, Brother Will? I'm doing good. I thank you. I thank you from... Uh I think you're you're from uh, Louisiana, aren't you, New Orleans? Yes, sir, from New Orleans. Okay, yeah, that's um, that's my old stomping ground down around there in the middle and all in between. Okay. <laughs> but uh, but uh, what I wanted to comment on uh, about the uh, you know what's at hand now is voting time is election time. Yeah. That season. Yeah. And I uh, hope I can keep or you know keep it in the perspective here as, as to what I wanted to comment on so many things was running through my head and my heart yeah. but the uh democrats uh my grandfather uh schooled me about the democrats okay his his uh his his father his dad schooled him mm-hmm. and down in louisiana there we were uh miss my last name we were uh, we were were uh, sharecroppers mm mm-hmm. mhm and everything, you know, and um, had some little small businesses here or there or whatever, you want, whatever the case might be. Yeah. But uh, it was a game that, you know, just like you play sports, you know, mm-hmm. it was a game that, that we played, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the, the game that the Democrats had, uh, well, that uh, the Democrat has always been and always will be, I feel comfortable with saying it because it's the truth. They've been a part of slavery. Mm. The Democrats have always been that party, but mm. they hid themselves, mm. and they're hiding themselves now. Yeah. This old playbook that they got, I labeled it as I, I wrote some things down and everything, and I wrote it down as, as um, this is old stuff happening to new people. Mm. Wow. The, 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 the playbook hasn't changed, you see, because one thing about the devil, if you notice, you're a man of God, if you notice, his playbook has not changed. That's right. That's his right. playbook has not changed because it's effective as far as he see it, and it's we must confess and admit it, it is working. It mm. works on some people. Yeah, It is right. working. 
the Democrats have the same have that same tactic, but it's old stuff that they're using on new people because of the generation as God has instructed us. Pass it on. We we you know pass it on that generation when you go when you let doing when you're lying down when you're rising up. That's teach right. your kids. Teach your generation That's so that right. they won't they won't come into the next generation. Hey Roy, I'm sorry I have to stop you there because we at the end of the show, but you make some great points. Thank you so much. This is Aaron Addison's be back tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.